All right, hello everyone. I'm Teresa Broderick with Ernst & Young's Corporate Real Estate Advisory Group. Um, and I'm also the program committee chair, so I'd like to introduce our moderator for today. So Kelly Fair is our moderator. Kelly is the founder of Polished Pebbles, a girls mentoring program, a Chicago-based mentoring initiative that increases the communication skills and employability of young women for the future workplace. Polished Pebbles helps girls ages 7 to 17 become effective communicators at home, at school, and in their future careers. The organization currently serves over 500 girls. Please welcome Kelly and our other amazing panelists here to the stage. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Women's History Month. Happy belated International Women of the Day, uh, Women of uh, uh, International Women's Day. Um, I appreciate that warm introduction. I am Kelly Fair, and I'm the founder of Polish Pebbles Girls Mentoring Program. It's been a 15-year passion of mine, where I started off with two girls on the south side at the Avalon Branch Library on Stony Island, and we've served close to about 10,000 girls since that time in about 150 public schools, public housing communities, charter schools in Chicago, Indiana, Texas, and for four years, we had a college edition of our program at Duke University. In the month of March, we are talking a lot often about closing gaps, closing gender pay gaps, gender leadership gaps. We're here talking about inclusion today as well. With our work with Polish Pebbles Girls, we work with tween and teen girls that are predominantly African-American and Latinx girls. We focus on closing the hope gap because before we can produce a generation of young women who will take your places to close all those other gaps, we have to make sure that they're hopeful. Many of them are growing up in communities, seeing threats of violence, under-resourced communities, under-resourced schools. And when we go in and we talk about Polish Pebbles is here, there's your school day or after-school program. They're excited, but there's a little bit of hopelessness sometimes. When we talk about introducing them to women like you, men like you, and the opportunities for their future careers, they say, well, I'm trying to get a job now. I'm excited and I want one. <laughs> But I went down to my local Wendy's or my McDonald's and grocery stores, and I don't think that they want girls like us. How do you help me? And so as I'm a part of this conversation today, talking about women in business and preparing women for jumping in leadership, growing in their career fields, I am super invested in the early part of the career pipeline. If you're not a Chicago in this room, you've been around, and it's election time, and we've heard the phrase, vote early and often. For me, my passion is investing in girls early and often. So I'm excited to be here with a powerful group of women today to talk about their past and how they've grown in business um, and just share tips with the audience, their thoughts, their reflections. We are coming off of a really wonderful dinner the other night where we started the conversation and we're happy to bring it to you guys and finish it here today. And I'm coming to you today because I'm one of those girls. I was a girl who was mentored. And so we are going to get our conversation started off here today with the ladies. And when we're in Polish Pebbles, we always start conversations and meetings asking people about who mentored them, 
But the phrase that we use is, who polished your pebble? <laughs> so we're going to get our conversation started today with the lady sharing about who was that influential mentor or influencer for you, and quite frankly, who polished your pebble? <laughs> but before we get into that portion, I want to make sure that we introduce this dynamic panel. They're going to go down the line and actually introduce themselves before we get to the conversation. And so um, I'll give them the chance to do it because they can authentically uh, introduce themselves much better than I could. And that's Cheryl Callahan, Kim Savageo, Sharita Ellens, and Aaron Butler. And I'll allow them to introduce themselves. Start on my side? Okay. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming. I'm Cheryl Callahan. Um, I am currently working for Baxter Healthcare. I'm sure you've all seen that in the news a little bit this past couple of months. Um, but I have been in the industry 40 years. Is This year is 40 years that I've been in the commercial real estate industry. So I started when I was negative 15. <laughs> and it's, it's been a wild and crazy ride. Um, I will tell you, I started in days, and, and many of us, as our conversation has spoken, you know, we started in the days where women were not recognized in commercial real estate, and it, it is really all of those mentors and those people who believed in me that allowed me to move my career forward. So I'll let Kim go. Sure. Uh, I'm Kim Savageau, Global Workplace Architect for Shell, the energy company. Um, I have been in the industry a little less than you, <laughs> but uh, started more on the construction side and uh, on the lease, lease side. Um, but now, um, through many different uh, evolutions of my career, I um, have done projects now in 67 different countries. Amazing. And um, so love to see how, how those best practices and uh, people learn different things and contribute to each other and continue to polish each other's pebbles. So. Good afternoon. I'm Erin Murray Butler. Thanks for having all of us here today. It's great to see so many women out in the audience. Um, and just a great opportunity for us to spend some time together to get to, one and know, get to know one another. I, um, I am a partner at William Blair. I oversee our uh, global real estate and internal operations. I actually started my career in nonprofit um, and spent a good amount of time um, uh, working on design and construction prior to moving into, um, into the private sector and um, moved and came to William Blair about 15 years ago um, and have had the great opportunity uh, to oversee design and construction um, and corporate real estate uh, for the firm across the globe. Thank you, Erin. Um, <clears throat> my name is Sharita Ellens, and I'm the president and CEO of an uh, organization called Women Employed. Uh, Women Employed, uh, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Um, and uh, since our inception in, in 1973, we have been a part of every major advance um, women have made in the workplace. Uh, we focus on policy change and systems change. Right now, our focus is primarily in Illinois, um, but we also do a lot of work in Chicago and some work federally as well. Our main goal is to grow the economic power of women. Um, and we do that by um, ensuring workplaces are equitable and inclusive. And we also do that by making sure that there are pathways for women um, to living wage roles, as well as pathways to leadership, wealth, um, and economic security. 
we have recently been, um, just in case you guys are trying to figure out who, who we really are, uh, we were re recently uh, responsible for passing the paid time off bill that just recently passed in Illinois. <laughs> which gave an additional 1.5 million people, workers in Illinois, access to a day off where they did not have access to one single paid day off. So we're really um, proud of that accomplishment um, that takes effect in January 24. You have to give people time to get their budgets together. Um, <laughs> we were also responsible for the no salary history ban that passed a few years ago, um, the sexual harassment prevention, pregnancy fairness um, uh, laws, the fair work week here in Chicago, um, and to name just a few. Uh, so we uh, work both with our legislators, but also with employers, because everything shouldn't have to be mandated. Sometimes you just should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So we work directly with employers to help them just do the right thing and make sure that their workplaces are places where everyone can thrive. Um, and so I think I've been in nonprofit now for about 20 years, but I started in for-profit. <laughs> and I won't say how long I was in for-profit because then you'll figure out my age if I do that. <laughs> so um, I'm excited to be here today. I'm equally excited to see so many women in the, in the room. I know this is a pretty male-dominated industry, um, so I appreciate that a space has been carved out um, so that you can come and kind of support one another and learn from one another um, and just celebrate the fact that you're thriving in an industry that isn't meant for you to succeed. Nice. Well, I, I said, and you guys know, there many of them are your colleagues, so we have a dynamic panel and a dynamic conversation. And we're going to get it started off talking about who were the people, and it doesn't have to be female or be male, who were some of those influential people who helped your growth, who helped you guys take some of those leaps, um, who helped you advocate? I'm going to start with Sharita because Women Employed is important to me as well because, one, she's a dynamic nonprofit leader, so I watch her from afar and pay attention to. So sometimes people are mentoring you and they don't even know it. <laughs> and Women Employed is a place where I got a lot of my beginning learnings with nonprofits and advocacy work. So, Sharita... Who was or who is a dynamic mentor or influencer for you? Um, I would say it isn't just one person. You know, when you look out um, over your career, I, you can point to different individuals that kind of have provided you different things that you needed at that particular time. Sometimes um, it was someone that needed to feed into me the confidence that I needed to take leaps. Um, and to say, no, you can do that. Take that chance. You, don't worry about it. You, if you fail, it's okay. Um, and I've definitely have had individuals that have helped me to do that. And most of those individuals were men um, that said, that pushed you out there to say, just go, go ahead and try it. Um, but I can also definitely point to uh, women, more so when I was in for-profit, women who were in leadership roles that were balancing life, um, balancing being um, uh, wives and mothers as well as successful career individuals. Um, but I also, you know, point to my father. You know, things you, you talked about girls and, and starting early. It started really early for me. And my father was um, very integral in making sure 
that I understood that I could do whatever. And like he he believed I could do whatever. And 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 he just poured into me and fed that into me. So there was never a time where I didn't think there was a place that I couldn't go into. Even if they didn't want me, it didn't matter. I knew that I could get myself there um, and that I would own the space. Um, and that came from my dad um, in, in pouring that into me. And then, you know, I'm always uh, motivated by women like my grandmother and my mother who didn't have education, who didn't have, you know, anything, my grandmother probably anything past eighth grade education, and my mother anything past a high school education, but still figured out how to take care of their families, still figured out how to make a way, still figured out how to make sure I would become a first-generation college student. Um, so these, I've had so many people along the way um, to mentor me and to polish me and... <laughs> Um, to build me up so that I could, you know, take those opportunities, be heard, and do it, and, and do it even while I was scared. Nice. Kim or Cheryl or Erin, any of you guys, who polished a pebble? Who's, who are those mentors well, for you? I'll just quickly say, um, <clears throat> so I think of it as I had role models and I had mentors. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Similar to Sharita, my mother and my father were unbelievable role models, although I didn't recognize it at the time. It took me until I was about 50 to really appreciate it. <laughs> but the, the, just both of my parents worked. They raised families. They worked all these things that they did that I didn't realize. Those were, those were role models for me. But I also was very fortunate to have two incredibly important mentors very early on in my career. Now, I've had mentors throughout, throughout my career, throughout my life, and hopefully I'm giving back in other ways to mentor others. But the two individuals, I would say, who were most critical were those that I worked with and for almost immediately out of college when I worked in nonprofit. And I, I think... One of my most um, important memories about the mentoring, and it wasn't formalized back then as it is today, was just the, hey, can you do this, Erin? And I would say, well, sure, even, even though I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, but I thought, well, I can figure this out, right, even without the Internet back then. Um, and so um, for me, those two, those two individuals, and they were both women, by the way, um, just had faith in me. They had, they had this, um, you know, belief that they could uh, ask me to take on a project or do something, um, and I would somehow find a way to get it done. So there's that that mentor and trusting someone to actually um, maybe deliver what's expected and hopefully exceed the expectations. Um, but those are my memories of, a of early, early mentorship for me. Um, I would kind of build on what, what you were saying as well, that um, 
sometimes it wasn't formal, um, but I was very fortunate to have, uh, I can think of specifically early in my career, a male and a female, um, who were people that um, I think were role models and that they were very clear of what their values were. And so that made it very clear how to follow and how to make decisions. Um, but they both uh, went out of their way to take time to ask me what I wanted to do and then to talk about and brainstorm what skills do you need to help you get there? And then adding that trust is that they would, um, if they saw opportunities in the company for um, somebody to do something on a project, they would say, oh, I know who's gonna do this. And they would trust me, even though it was something that was really stretching my skills, but they would trust me to use those skills, but they helped see those opportunities. So if you didn't have the skill set, how do you build the skill set so that you're qualified for the, the next thing that you'd like to do? Okay. So very similarly, in a very long career, you do have a number of people that influence your life. And at the very early stages of my career, I was actually still in college when I started in this role, in this, in this industry, and there was a woman there who was, she had, in my eyes, she was like 110 years old, <laughs> uh, but she was there at work every day in her hose, in her high heels, and she showed up. Right, and she imparted upon me, you know, when I'd come in after a late night of probably not doing what I should be doing, um, she imparted those things to me around, you know, you do need to show up, you do need to be here, right? Your, your job is not only to do the work, but it's to be here, it's to be a part of this organization, and it's to share what you have with the rest of this organization, whether or not it's directly related. And then fast forward through the course of time, I will tell you the other large influencers in my life and um, people that have really made a difference are people I've met through organizations like Cornet. So I, you know, I've belonged to different organizations since I went, I had to look on my resume because I couldn't remember. Um, I've belonged to different organizations since 1993, right? So 30 years of belonging to professional organizations and I've met hundreds of thousands of people going to, you know, World Workplace and all these other types of events. And there are people that I could pick out and point to that I can tell you made a difference. So I would encourage you two things from my perspective with being, it's not only being that role model, demonstrating being a role model and demonstrating being a mentor. Sometimes it doesn't have to be that formal. Sometimes it's really just having those conversations with the people around you in order to influence your next steps or influence some of the decisions you need to make in your career. Awesome. So those are really some great tips to think about as mentoring does not have to be a formal piece. I know you guys mentioned that some organizations have formal mentoring and buddying programs uh, that they match individuals or sometimes it's just on the fly. So I remember the other night you guys shared some really wonderful things to put in a toolkit if a young woman or a young professional was coming through. What are some of those things if we were putting together a toolbox or building those core values of those nuggets, those tips that you would share with the young women who are up, you know, your next leaders? I think about one of my mentors that helped me understand in making the transition from nonprofit to for-profit and she, quite frankly, helped me renegotiate a, a contract, get a pay raise, and get a management title. And some of the nuggets she always shared with me was like, look, you're always going to take yourself with you wherever you go. Yeah. So that piece about accountability, about working on yourself at the same time. And then the other thing that she always told me as well is that to seek help and to seek support. 
She said, if you don't learn how to ask for help now, what are you going to do when you get to my age? So those are some of the things that I carry around in my toolkit. What are some of the things that you guys will put in the toolkit for the young women who are coming up and need those nuggets, those mentoring, those support pieces? I'll start with um, do, do things you're afraid of. You know, decide if you want to do it, but you're afraid to do it, do it anyways. Stretch yourself. Um, find support. Ask for feedback. Tell somebody, I haven't done this, so I'm, here's my plan. Get some feedback. Um, uh, actively seek feedback of anything that you're, you're doing if you're try, trying to grow. Um, my boss says, uh, feedback is a gift. Please wrap it nicely. Um, so, you know, ask the right person that you think is going to give it to you in the developmental context that you need it. Um, and, uh, and again, st stretch. Decide what you want to do. And, and if you're in a situation and you... Um, uh, aren't sure how how to proceed in terms of a difficult situation. Think about how would you, you know how would you explain it to your children? Like that will help you kind of see the way and sometimes clear some of the fog if something seems to be, you know, uh, where you have to apply some judgment. Yeah. And I'll, I'll play off of that too, and then uh, also play off of what I said earlier. I think it's even more critical where we are today with hybrid work environments to to show up. Right, it might be nice to have a two-day work week and say, oh, I could show up if I want to, and oh, I'm on Zoom, I'm really kind of working. But I will tell you, the generations that you're working with do not recognize that. They want to see and connect with you. And, and while you can collaborate on a call, you're not making those human connections you should be making within your industry. And, and we're not back to days of, you know, four-hour liquid lunch, unfortunately. But <laughs> you, you, you can still reach out and have those connections. And, and that, to me, would be the one absolute must in your career is, is you have to be present, you have to reach out, and you have to make those one-to-one -one connections or one-to-group connections. Because I'm telling you, we've lost two, three, whatever it is, years of our lives now to not being that one-on-one -on -one and talking to people face-to-face. -face. And there is a huge difference face-to-face -face than there is on a video screen. Kim? I would say, um, <clears throat> simply, be confident. Not overconfident, but be confident. Because we typically have a harder time being confident, especially if it's in a room of maybe more senior people or people that we're not necessarily comfortable with. So. Um, trust what you know and be confident uh, and be kind. Be kind and compassionate. I was, I was telling um, uh, my friends, who I think I can call them my friends now after our, <laughs> the time we spent together, um, that you never know what's happening to the person in the person's life on the other side of the table, on the other side of the phone, on the other side of the text or Teams chat. Um, and we all can react negatively based on what's happening in our lives uh, at that particular moment. So I really do, not all the time, for those of you who know me, um, <clears throat> try to take into consideration if there is a reaction um, that just doesn't seem as necessary as it is to, to really try to respect maybe what... Um, what that individual might be going through. I do really believe that kind and kindness and compassion can get you um, a long way. So 
Sharita? Um, I'm gonna plus one everything everyone <laughs> said because those are all great. And then I'm gonna add a couple things that were really important to me. Um, and I think it builds upon on a few of the things that were already stated. Um, you have to be able to master your emotional intelligence. <laughs> and so I recommend this book so often to everyone, Emotional T Intelligence 2.0. Um, it is a game changer if you have not figured out how to master. Um, and when I say master your emotions, I don't mean like your sensitivity. I mean how you respond and react to things. How do you respond and react when you feel attacked? How do you respond and react when you feel challenged or you have anxiety or you're not confident? How do you understand your own triggers? Growth is about self-reflection and being really honest with where you are and owning your own journey. Um, and so I, that's a big one for me. Uh, the other is we talk about confidence, but understand the difference between confidence and arrogance and understand that it is okay that you don't know everything and people don't even believe that you know any, everything anyway, so stop <laughs> pretending like you know everything and ask those questions. Um, and then don't put yourself in a box. Don't put your professional career or your personal development in a box. Life is not linear. It is not. And your career path is not linear. So don't make these arbitrary goals that are bound by age or time. By 30, I want to be the senior vice president of blah, blah, blah. You will miss out on so many opportunities because you're walking through with these blinders on because you have this one set goal and you're missing out on all of these opportunities that might come your way that might take you a completely different path but a happier one. Um, and it might even advance you further than where you ever thought you would believe. That's happened to me. Um, my career has taken so many different turns and I've um, dabbled in so many different things and I appreciate it because it has just built me up to where I feel like I can, you know, um, go into any industry and be a leader. Um, and so uh, I would say not linear, no boxes, emotional intelligence, confidence, not arrogance. Awesome. I would say be patient. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> with the amount of young women that we work with, and for me, I'm the first employer for many of the girls that are now young adults, um, helping them understand that change doesn't happen as quickly as a reel or Instagram minute. Um, and so as we're thinking and having conversations about changing workplaces, workplaces that are becoming more accommodating, more inviting, more welcoming, what are some of the things that you guys have seen in either other workplaces or even in your own um, that you're really proud of and you think are really cool ideas when it comes to making them more inviting, more welcoming, more accessible to women in business? Okay, I'm going to kick off. <laughs> it's kind of my jam. Um, <laughs> so I think the pandemic has given us a wonderful opportunity to challenge the status quo, to, to challenge the workplace as we once knew it. Um, no one believed we could ever be, you know, hybrid. No one believed that we could work virtual. No one ever believed flexible work schedules would, you know, be a thing. And lo and behold, a pandemic hit, and guess what? We figured it out. 
And so I am encouraged by all of the innovation and the conversations that are happening in workplaces to, you know, truly challenge where they were as a workplace and understand what practices they actually had that were unintentionally, I'm gonna go said unintentionally because we have to believe everybody are good actors, um, holding people back or creating barriers to succeed. So when you think about when we were all in person and the only way to network was in the evenings or on a Saturday for golf or whatever, <laughs> and you have half your workforce who isn't able to participate in that because they have outside caregiving responsibilities. And that could be to a children or for an elder parent or whatever the case may be. When we think about um, you know, the fact that you had to, you, there was this expectation that you worked 80 hours a week in order to get a promotion. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hit and people were like, whoa, I can't do that because I'm homeschooling and I don't even know how to be a teacher. <laughs> um, and why are my kids at home with me all day? And, 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 and men began to see the struggles and the, you know, that, that women had because now they were home too. Um, and they're like, well, we need to do something about this. And now all of a sudden, you know, things change. Yes, that's my man voice. Um, <laughs> it comes out every now and then. Um, so I'm encouraged by some of these things. And I would just say, keep pushing the needle. Keep pushing the needle to, you know, demand flexible work schedules, to figure out, you know, I know everyone wants to go back in person. We cannot be 100% in person all the time anymore. It does not work. I know you're in commercial real estate and that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> you're like, but we need people in these spaces. People aren't coming back to those spaces. Get over it. They're not coming back because they're just going to go to another employer that's not going to force them to come back to that seat five days a week. So we have to like be able to be in a place where we embrace change and we continue to challenge the status quo. Because again, I always remind people, the workplace was only designed for white men. And most of them had wives at home, managing the house, managing their life, managing everything outside of work, everything. The finances, the home, their parents, every, the children, everything. That hasn't been reality in this country for decades, for decades. And so why are we still trying to make the workplace that was created for a different time work in our time today? So we have to evolve and we have to continue to push these conversations and be courageous about those conversations and, um, and, and institute some best practices and learn from around you know, what other people are doing. Now everyone's mad at me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to take a different approach. Okay. Uh, no, which I think I, everything okay. that you shared, I think, is incredibly important. But when I heard the question, I was thinking really more about the bricks and mortar and the the policies of how do you make the workplace more inclusive. And we see companies. Uh, <clears throat> transforming their policies um, with uh, parental leave, not just for new moms, but for new dads and for adoption. 
Um, in, in our designs, it's, it, is, it is part of our program to make sure that we are installing um, mother suites for all, all moms uh, coming back to work. Uh, for those of you who don't know what they are, they're for moms who are, are nursing or breastfeeding. We put in hospital-grade equipment so the moms don't have to carry it back and forth. We make sure that we put um, what we call all access, some call gender neutral restrooms uh, in uh, all of our offices to make sure that there is comfort and accessibility for all. Uh, one program that we just introduced, and I will openly admit that I'm taking advantage of, is a menopause program where you, if you need a fan, a oh neck goodness. fan in your office, you get one. And I have one. Yes. Um, so... Um, so from, from my perspective, when I look at the design of our space, and, and we know that the changes that we've seen, and I think everyone in this room, regardless of their role, would acknowledge that we're never going to go back to five days a week every, every week. Um, but as we look at our designs and, and what the workplace really means, how can we help uh, create an environment, design an environment, think of, of, of ways and areas that it isn't specific for one gender, right. one race, that we actually are looking at it, this, at it in a very uh, diverse and inclusional way. So... Uh, so I've just learned something. <laughs> uh, I didn't expect to say that, by the way. Oh, that's okay. It's, okay. it's, okay. Uh, it's a thing in your yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, So we, I, I think I look at it from both attraction and retention of women. So how do you attract women to your workplace? First of all, um, you're not going to attract women to the workplace if they never get the interview to even show what they know and what they can do. So make sure that your, um, your candidate panel is... Half and half. And hire the most important, you know, the most qualified person, but make sure that you at least invite a mixture of people to the to the table to find out who is most most qualified for, for the role. Um, and so that's part of the attract. Make sure your workplace, you know, sh the imagery in your workplace shows people, you know, it shows anybody should see somebody that looks like them. Uh, those are some of the signals that people look for when they're when they're looking at where the, if they want to be um, a part of your um, uh, your uh, organization, and then also on the on the retain. So we talked about like different um, phases of life, and a lot of women may start at a company and they don't stay. So what do you do so that women you've invested, they know your company, they're high performers. Why do they leave your organization? Make sure that you can retain them. So things like if they go on maternity leave and they come back, that they have a place to nurse. Um, and it's not the bathroom stall that's dirty and it's like, you know, two miles down the road. Um, uh, I've learned a new one, so I'm gonna add to my list. Um, but um, but we, we've actually um, uh, gone to 53 of our sites and looked at 180 different characteristics to say, not just when we're proactively designing our spaces, but how do we look at where we are now and we do it with somebody external because sometimes people don't see what's at their site and they forget that they're excluding unintentionally. So we've done that at you know, 180 points and 53 sites. It's a lot of data, but saying, do we have lactation spaces and do they have these traits? So again, not yes, I have it, but it's 
a dirty <laughs> toilet down the street. Uh, you know, is, is what does the imagery look like in our office? Um, there's also, you know, wheelchair access. Like, is our reception desk? If somebody's short, a short person can go up in the same desk. They should be able to see them. Uh, in our executive suites, um, do women fit at the table? Literally, do they fit? Not the our prior CFO. Her feet were dangling. And, but it looked really corporate. It looked great for men. But you should not be able to have to sit as a CFO of one of the biggest companies in the world with your feet dangling for eight hours a day because it literally doesn't fit you. So um, I think those are some of the things we all need to take that objective look at the whole lifespan. So I could probably say about a million different things here. So that, and I don't disagree, even with you, I don't disagree with all of those things. I think probably the biggest lesson learned for me today is we still have those companies out there that are not taking advantage of some of these discussions, right? And part of our group, part of corporate real estate is to educate those above us, right? It, 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 it comes both ways, right? We need to encourage and let our leadership know what's expected and what's important to their teams. Because honestly, sometimes those leaders are so far and above what's happening in the field or what's happening in the trenches that they really don't understand. I mean, my, probably my most recent story, very quick one, um, all of our leadership team did not know we had a prayer and meditation room in our campus. Now, my campus is 650,000 square feet. We have one. And they're like, oh, you didn't know it's back behind the cafeteria? And I'm like, you guys didn't even know we had it. They're like, oh, we need to do this. I'm like, but you already have it. But because it's so far away and it's not publicized, nobody knew. So again, in this room and in this environment, it's our jobs to educate leadership to let them know what we're doing to be inclusive, not only of women, but of disabilities, of men, of, of whatever it means. It's important that we're the ones showing how we're going to bring equity to the workplace. Um, I'm just going to add a couple of points to that because I think um, you have to make sure that your leadership is diverse enough where you can bring all the necessary voices and perspectives to the table because otherwise you have people that are in the decision-making roles. When I say leadership, I mean in decision-making roles that are trying to assume, that are trying to guess, and they don't know. And so unless they are going to commit to doing a human-centered design process where they're going to create personas and really try to figure that these different things out and how these different personas are impacted in the organization, leadership needs to be reflective of the different perspectives of your entire workforce. And if it isn't, then you have to challenge that. And one of the other things, because Equal Pay Day is next week, mm -hmm. and you know, women still have this ever persistent pay gap, every organization should be doing pay equity scans. Every organization. And not just um, and, and, the, and the data should be disaggregated. And you aren't just looking at pay. You're looking at promotions. You're looking at bonuses. You're looking at everything, and you're slicing and dicing that information by gender, by race, by education, by age, so that you can truly understand where your gaps are so that you can build your pipeline. Um, and don't be afraid of the data. When you see it, it's not going to be okay. I, I can guarantee you it's probably not going to be. 
when I first took over at Women Employed, we did a pay equity scan and it wasn't okay. <laughs> and we had to do some adjustments, but you have to know the data um, so that you can make those adjustments. And because pay should not be based off of someone's ability to negotiate, pay should be based off of the job that is there um, in the job that everyone is doing. So you want to look at pay equity, um, promotion equity, opportunity equity, all of those different things in every single organization should make that a priority. Awesome. Awesome. Let's move into an area that I like to think a lot about because I've, I've seen myself in this role in my younger days and even day in, day out, even at this point in my career, I'm often dealing with some level of anxiety or fear of failure. And I think that that's not an unhealthy space to be in because that means that I keep taking on challenges and keep pushing myself to grow even more. But I'd love to hear from you guys about when things don't go as planned, why do women tend to look at it as a failure versus a stepping stone? Um, you know, often female professionals, we are fearful that we have to believe that we have to do everything perfect or it's going to be criticized or it's not going to be good enough and it's got to be better. Um, so if you guys could talk a little bit about how maybe you have overcome this barrier to success, getting over the fear of failure. I, I can start, yeah. I, I don't know that I've ever overcome it. <laughs> I think every day we face those fears, whether it's going into a meeting, coming up here to speak to you. I mean, all of those things are very natural fears to have when you're interacting with other humans. I think, um, for me, I'm, I'm not, like, bad at technology, but am I as good as a 23-year-old? Absolutely not, right? But I can do it. I can do it well. But is that a fear? Sure. Am I going to screw up a spreadsheet? Damn right. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's probably those fears that we still face on a day-to-day -day basis that I think my, my counsel to that is really don't let it put you, stop you in your tracks, right? Even if it's a small failure, even if somebody goes, you didn't do this on a spreadsheet, I'm going to turn around and go, yep, you're probably right. And, and am I perfect? Absolutely not. And Sometimes I might even say, if you're perfect, let me know, <laughs> right? But, but it is having that honest conversation um, to those fears with yourself, mm. right? With yourself to say, I can face this. I can do this. Uh -uh. It's not going to be perfect. It's okay. Yeah, um, I think I would build, build on that by um, saying sometimes you get underway on a project and, you, and your whole view is very myopic about delivering whatever you said you were because then you can say, I did what I said I was going to. Um, I think as I've matured in my career, I've learned that's not always the view of success because ultimately people don't necessarily evaluate whether you did that project right, but did you deliver ultimately what we needed on our values? And sometimes over time, that changes. Mid-program, mid you start to learn more and find out I, we were it, perfectly delivered program. It was the wrong program. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, starting to realize, to take a step back and look at what's the bigger picture of what you're trying to do. And sometimes I, I think um, the, deal that, the best deal you do is the deal you decide not to do, that you might have gone down a path. And it's, that's hard to say, I've committed, I told you this is what we should do, and now I've learned more and I have to do something different. And that becomes a stepping stone of saying, it, it takes a little self-reflection to say, oh, this is really tough to, to turn around what I expected. But sometimes you have to be brave and, and do that and look at what did we learn from that? What can we take to ultimately deliver what our goals are? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit um, the other night, and I, I don't remember who said it, but <clears throat> in the conversation we talked about uh, if there was a job description and um, maybe if, if you weren't a woman, you would look at it and be like, oh, I could totally do this job, even though maybe you can really feel confident that you can do 10 or 20% of it, where <laughs> we as women, and not to, to, to categorize everyone, but in general, I, and I know that I do this, and I think collectively we agreed there was a little bit of this in all of us, is that we would look at it and say, well, I can, oh, I can do a lot of it, but I, I can't do all of it, so maybe I'm not the right person for the job. Um, and I'm sure you've all heard this in some, um, some form or another, um, but there's that, that doubt, right? So, and, and I would agree with Cheryl. I don't know that any of us have completely overcome it, um, but I think raising awareness and being aware that, um, that, again, back to that confidence that I was saying before, um, can help you get through it and, um, you know, try to, Put yourself on that equal playing field, right? We're asking to be on an equal playing field. We need to put ourselves there. Mm -hmm. And that means uh, when you look at that job description, um, you, you don't necessarily have to know how to do everything, especially if you have the ability and willingness to learn. Um, I have always challenged myself. I feel like if I'm meeting every goal and every objective I set for myself, I am not challenging myself hard enough and um, because I'm playing it safe. And playing it safe gets you nowhere. Uh, so you have to be able to, you know, not be afraid to fail forward. You hear all the stories. Michael Jordan got cut from the, you know, his basketball team and this person didn't. You have to be okay with failing forward because that's where, you know, the learnings happen um, when I took over the leadership of, of my organization, there was such a strong culture of perfectionism, but to the point where it's crippling because you began to, you know, count every widget. You, you want to count every input, every output. And at the end of the day, you know, I tell my team what we're trying to measure ourselves against is impact. What are the outcomes that we're really, what are the objectives that we're really trying to get to? And it might look every single, it might look different every single time we try to do it. And that's okay. It's okay if you set out to do it one way, but at some point you made a pivot and decided to do something else because that wasn't working, because that's where learning happens and that's where you kind of get to your sweet spot. So I think part of that came from, again, everything points back to childhood. And the re reason why women are perfectionists points back to childhood, because you're told that you always have to look a certain way, that you always have to be well put together, that you can't be too loud, that you can't laugh like this, that you have to... All of that feeds into that perfectionism, um, that perfectionist syndrome, uh, and that, that need to be people pleasers, right? You got to get over the fact... Everybody's not going to like you all the time, and you're not going to make everybody happy all the time, and it's okay. Yeah. You know, as long as you're holding your integrity and you're kind and you're doing what you said you're going to do, it's, it's okay if they're mad for a second. They'll get over it. Um, and you'll move past it as long as you're, you know, treating people with, with kindness so, you know, I just say, just know that a lot of those things are triggered. Everything goes back to your childhood. 
Um, but for me, I've always learned to play it scared because I had a big brother who, you know, thought it would be fun to throw me into the deep end of the pool and, you know, <laughs> swim back. Or that I had to go through haunted houses or ride roller coasters. But all of those things that you can tap into all of those things. Remember a time that you did something scared. And how did it make you feel when you did it anyway? Anytime you approach something that makes you scared, think about those times that you did it scared anyway and that it worked out and hold on to that feeling and just do it anyway. Yeah. No, I, I totally connect with that. In a business like a nonprofit, we are essentially telling stories to help compel people to understand our impact and compel them to invest and support what we do. And our stories are all about people. So I have had to definitely learn the importance of redefining what success looks like. Because when you're working with people, could you imagine if somebody was tracking us from the age of 11 to adulthood and marking every way you went, every time you went in the right path or not the right path or monitoring your social media? Oh my God, so glad that we didn't have it when we were younger. So um, for me, working with people and working with young people, I have to redefine success because sometimes they may be moving in a certain direction and folks come back and say, what happened to this young lady? What happened to that young lady? And sometimes circumstances can be really hard to overcome. Sometimes they may be in that growth spurt where they may not be making the best decisions. But I try and redefine success because some of those young ladies don't miss my birthday and they call me and reach out and ask me, how are you doing? Some of those young ladies make sure that they send the SOS to let me know I'm doing okay. For me, the fact that they've invited me in their lives and on this path when it's great and when it's not great and still include me, I have to hold on to that is success in that particular moment. So all the pivoting and things that we've learned in the pandemic really come into play regardless if we're working on projects or working with people and redefining success. You guys are all really accomplished women and this job isn't easy. I was talking to Sharita and We've all been talking uh, the, the last week or so about all the events in March that we have to go to. I think Sharita has two more events to go to this, uh, this just today as well. So being in leadership is not easy. What do you think are some of the best ways for people to support women in leadership? Ooh, tough question. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's regardless of the level, I think it's that ability to connect with that leader and instill in them that you believe in them. And, and I know I go back to that trust question again, but most recently in my role, I've started working with our CHR, head of HR, um, who has been noted as one of the highest paid HR people in the country. And that's scary, right? But it's another female. And, and I've connected with her because I've been able to take a step back and go, wait a minute, we're both women, right? We, we can talk about different things. And it's really encouraging her as we're talking through these projects I'm going through, it's really encouraging her saying, hey, you know what? I think you're doing an amazing job, right? I think we're doing the right things here and making that initial first connection so that you gain her trust and, her, and keep to that communication level, right? So now we do have a rapport after knowing her three months, and she has no problem skipping over my other bosses and calling me directly. And that's, to me, that's really critical, right? Because I want her to be able to trust me 
that I can go forward and, and work on her initiatives, but also I'm encouraging her to say, I think you're on the right track. Now if she doesn't feel like she's on the right track and it has something to do with real estate, she'll call me, right? It's important. Yeah, I'll uh, build a little bit on that. I think it's, um, if a senior leader asks you for feedback, they're not usually asking you to boost their ego. Right. You know, so, so be honest. Again, feedback, it's a gift, wrap it nicely. But, but be honest, because there's a reason they're asking you a question. They might have a sense that something's maybe not working exactly like they want it to. And if you don't give them the gift of that feedback, then they don't have a way to, to reinforce that maybe something isn't working for them to have the opportunity to fix. So I think that's a really important one. And to share the impact of the things that they do well, to say, you, know, you stopped in this meeting and you talked to, you just honestly shared these couple things. Um, with a group of people that normally don't have an audience with you, that was really impactful to them. And here's what they said, I think is a real, another way to, again, share the positive reinforcement as well so that they know, because they may not. And I would just say, um, open up, connect, trust. Um, I have so many more allies as, uh, um, women in my in my company in my industry that i i just truly trust i think you hear a little bit about oh well there's this competition and women may not get along i i i disagree i just i just don't see that and maybe i don't want to see it or um i just don't want to see it so maybe i don't know if it happens or not but i really don't see it and i think that um Connecting, opening up, back to your point about just if, if feedback is asked, be honest. Um, trust one another uh, because we're all in this together. And, and I do believe that um, once you start to make that connection and, and whether it's introducing, sharing something personal about your life, uh, which clearly I shared with all of you today. Um, but once you get that, once you make that connection, it's, um, that's the beginning of what doesn't necessarily have to be a friendship, but a, a great professional relationship. But a lot of times it does turn into friendship too, so. Um, I would say trust in a different way. So trust um, in her leadership and how she chooses to lead. Um, don't make women assimilate into your view of what a leader is supposed to look like. Allow them to be in their own greatness because we are great and allow, you know, women to lead in their way and, and trust in that and trust in their vision and trust in their, um, in their abilities. And then the other part is to champion. Um, mentors are great. Women need champions. We need you to be speaking our names in rooms that we are not in. We need you to make sure that we're at the tables that we're supposed to be at. Uh, we need to make sure that you are champion to make sure that we're getting the acknowledgement and the accolades um, for the work that we are doing. Uh, so champion is so, so important. If you see someone that's not there and you're like, oh, Susie should be here. Let me, why don't we call Susie? Bring her in this room. She could talk about this project better than anybody at this table. So just make sure um, that you are not leaving them out and that they're where they're supposed to be. Awesome. Um, tell them when they're doing a good job. <laughs> I mean, when you have a jam-packed day and 
You know, often as I am passionate about impacting school-aged girls, I'm even more passionate, quite frankly, about replacing myself. So I do a lot of investment in my internal career pipeline where young ladies have started as college interns and then they are entry level and moving into management. Um, and so as I'm working with them, you know, I'm talking about the variety of different stakeholders that I may have to communicate with in one particular day. And so my mind is in lots of different places and trying to adjust to the audience at that time. And so just as they need the positive reinforcement, we need the positive reinforcement, you know, that, uh, that a girl or, you know, that in that particular moment, Just you knock that out. You said what? Don't say it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say, you don't have to say it, but I always tell the girls I love plants. I love chicken dinners. <laughs> I love Starbucks gift cards. But I think that's an important piece, particularly with this generation of early professionals that are coming in. It's the same things of kindness. It's the same things of giving back to others. And that doesn't have to be just to the next generation. It's to each other. Mm -hmm. um, want a great workplace? Want to love it? Um, make sure that you hold the bosses accountable, but treat the bosses good, too. Mm -hmm. It all makes it a really, really rich place and space to be. So we're going to move shortly into our Q&A uh, portion of the day. Um, I do want to provide enough space for um, this awesome accomplishment that Sharita has with 50 years with women employed and have a chance to share with some folks about that. But there was a fun question that was recommended, and anybody can answer, and you don't have to. Uh, but what would be your dream job if money and location were not, were not a factor? Dream job. I, you know, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Honestly, you could, I, if it, does it have to be a job or can it just be a thing? Okay. So my, my <laughs> I think my dream job would be, you know, sitting on the beach with an umbrella drink somewhere. And uh, I, my job would be, you know, just talking to people. That would be fabulous. <laughs> Anybody else? I think I, I won't, I guess it's between a job and a not. So this is on, a little more on the job side. Um, Part-time uh, is, um, so I had time to do the uh, drinks on the beach, uh, would be to really, to, I would love to build uh, sustainable, accessible homes for, on, for people that need them. You know, so that would yeah. be my... I'm glad I you it. said that. And I would do it myself. I, I mean, yeah. I do a lot of volunteer work, too. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me is just normal course of doing a job. I do a lot of volunteer work to begin with, so... Maybe that's half of, like at night <laughs> when I'm done on the beach. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was going in a totally different direction. <laughs> Bring it home. And I was, right. trying, I was trying to think, and I, now I, I will, before I say this, I'll admit that I actually don't really like boats, but um, I think I would like to be like a cruise director. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the reason why is because I do find a lot of joy in bringing joy to people. Like, it is, it is whether it's family or friends, um, I do spend a lot of time trying to be present with them, try to create um, memories or experiences. And so I, I, I actually think I would be pretty good at that as long as it was on land, like if it wasn't on a, on a boat, so whatever. So... Um, yeah, I think I would. I would really. I would really enjoy that. So awesome. Um, I 
I don't really have a dream. I, I'm living my dream job. Like, I love my work. I would like to get paid more to do what I do. <laughs> um, but I love my work, and I make sure I get to the beach once a quarter. So I have figured out how to bring that joy um, into my life uh, so that I can do both. And I figured out how to align my purpose and my work. Um, so it all feels like a dream. So nice. <laughs> I think I'm very similar um, in enjoying the work that I do. Um, I just would love to travel globally and do it more um, because the reality is so many girls are facing the same issues that they're facing here on the south side of Chicago, in Kingston, Jamaica, in Johannesburg, South Africa. And so um, just an opportunity to convene folks to have these really great conversations, the problem solvers and do that in the morning after my coffee and then go out on somebody's beach or a trip. Um, yes, yes. And I'm gonna get a snazzy little notebook um, like Sharita has so that I don't have to type up emails. I don't wanna do that anymore where my handwritten notes will automatically be translated into uh, emails to folks. But, um, you know, carrying on the job and the work that we do and having an opportunity to travel would be a, a, a king passion of mine. So um, enjoyed this time. I hope you guys enjoyed what these ladies had to share. Sharita, would you share again with the audience about what's going on with Women Employed and this awesome 50th anniversary? Yes, um, there are, I believe there are things. I didn't know, listen, this is why you have a good team because <laughs> one, I didn't know anybody was coming today other than one person. Um, and it's a whole table of people over there. Um, and two, I didn't know that they were gonna uh, bring leave behind, so that's great. Um, I would say that if you if you care about gender equity, and everybody should, because it is it's not it's more than gender equity because we want to see women succeed, but we're fifty percent of the workforce, um, and we're running homes and things of that sort. So we should we should care about that. Uh, we. You can sign up for action alerts. We do a lot of advocacy and policy work. And so if you sign up for advocacy work, you, um, a, I'm sorry, action alerts, you will be able to know when we're trying to get, and there's a QR code on your table. Thank you, Amanda. Um, you will know when we're seeking permission slips because we're trying to get some cert, uh, certain legislation um, signed or if we just need you to contact your legislator and help advocate on our behalf. Um, there is also opportunity if you want to, you know, be around uh, other women and definitely younger professionals. We have something called our Advocacy Council. Our Advocacy Council is a place for um, mid-career, early to mid-career women come together um, to learn about all of the issues, learn how to be advocates for themselves and for others, and it's also opportunities for great networking. Um, and then uh, you can sign up for our newsletters and all of that, I'm sure, is on the QR codes. And then we do have a luncheon coming up on May 25th, um, the working lunch. This is our 50th anniversary edition, so we're really excited. Fully in person at the Palmer House Grand Ballroom. We expect about 1,000 people in the room. Not exaggerating. Um, and so a great networking opportunity, but also just a great opportunity to come out and find out what's happening around the state um, and for issues that you care about. 
And I'd just like to um, share as well, if you came in and you saw in your chair, there was a little flyer here from Polish Pebbles Girls Mentoring Program about our Pink Heart Hats initiative. That's one of the reasons why I love so much being in a room of professionals like you. Um, for almost 15 years, we are intentional about exposing girls and allowing them to explore the opportunities and build the skills for careers in any industry or any sector, from in retail, from entertainment to hospitality. And then we wanted to be intentional about preparing girls for construction and the different levels to it as well. So we have some of our first girls in their pre-apprenticeships at Chicago Women in Trades. So we're trying to prepare girls to be future trades women, to work in the construction industry, to work in a commercial real estate space. So how can you support? Um, if you see on this flyer, we've got a pink hard hat symposium coming up soon. We are working with about 50 schools in a year, and every school needs a culminating job shadow. Your business might be the next best place <laughs> for you to host a group of Polished Pebbles girls to come down. It's not hard. Our Polished Pebbles team works with you like consultants and will customize an experience for girls as early as 50th grade or high school. Why invest early? Girls, as we talked about, we're, we're still overcoming our fears as grown women, and all of you guys are as well. Girls are making decisions about, in third through fifth grade, girls do this, girls don't do this. I'm good at this, I don't think I can do that. So if they don't get a chance to come into your spaces, see you as credible role models and experience it early on, you could be facing a gap and a workforce gap in this industry as we are in others. So we'd love for you to uh, reach out. There's information on the back with our website. I'll be here and I have cards as well. Uh, we've connected with some of the individuals in this room and other organizations like professional women in construction. So we are definitely in the space and we are looking to you to teach us. We're experts at working and connecting industries with girls. Construction not necessarily my thing, but am I a great learner? And do we create the opportunities for you to bring the best of who you are and the best of the industry to these school-age girls? Absolutely. So I want to uh, thank you guys for your time today and having me and having this awesome panel of women. I know that some of you guys may have some questions. So I think that we might, if you have any questions, I think we have some question runners out in the audience who are willing to come on over. Trying again. Hi, how are you? I'm Diana. Um, so I have a question, but I'm gonna back it up with a little bit of an observation so you can understand the perspective of my question. So my question is, what age or years of experience in the industry is it okay for a woman to say she has? The reason is, the observation I had is many of you, when you're introducing yourselves, you glossed over your age or did a little self-deprecating humor, which everyone, I have done. But then I also think back to when I was early in my career, I looked young, I didn't have the age, but I had the experience, so I had to fake my age older. So what's the perfect age, or can we just say whatever age we are, because we've got the creams, we've got the tucks, we've got the hair dye. I mean, <laughs> when do we get to be our age? <laughs> You know, I'll answer that. I, it took me six months to admit that it's 40 years in the industry. Seriously. It, and, and it is. 
I think as you get older, it's not necessarily admitting that's the number of years in the industry, but admitting your age, right? Now, my, kid, my kids are probably older than some of you in the room, right? And, and that's okay. But it, I don't know that it's necessarily a female thing versus a male thing. I don't know that there's many, even males that have as many years. I, I know there's not a lot of males in the room that have my number of years of experience. So it did take me a little bit, and that's probably a confidence issue more than anything. I think for me, it's sometimes uh, having to do the math of how old I was and what yeah. year which I started. Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily even intentional. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah. more time has passed. So. Yeah, professional organization, yeah. yeah. Um, I, for, <laughs> so I'm going to have my transparent moment, Erin. <laughs> um, <laughs> bring it on. So I turned 50 last year. Yeah. And... <laughs> I struggled with that. I'm still struggling with saying the words. Um, and so it has nothing to do with um, trying to, to gloss over it. For me, it's just personal being okay with being 50, um, which is a glorious thing to, to be. Uh, but I also, you know, my pushback on that is how often are men asked their age? Yeah. <laughs> like, how often are men asked their age? They're not. How often are men asked how many years? They might be asked how many years they have in a particular industry, but they're never asked about previous industries, previous roles. So why are we? And so that, that would be my pushback on that. And also ageism is real. And so until we yes, tackle ageism in this country and in the workplace, you do have to be careful with, you know, um, if you're applying for a job or whatever the case may be, you know, aging yourself out of a role, unfortunately, that's our reality. Um, so that would be my response. I think it's important, too, to make sure that we're establishing how to present ourselves and talk about our value and worth at any phase. <laughs> you know, so one of the things for us is uh, in, in our book, uh, Every Girl's a CEO, we have a resume in here. And so a 10, 11-year-old may think, well, what do I have to put on a resume? Let's think about it. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm a Girl Scout. Oh, psh, then you're a great saleswoman. <laughs> How big were your sales? And one of the things that we focus on in this book, and just as we bring different role models in front of them, is have women talk about what their very first jobs were and the skills that they learned and how they grew. So Congresswoman Robin Kelly was eight years old in New York when she worked in her grandparents' grocery store. Um, CEOs who were babysitters and talk about what childcare is and really how high of a role with responsibility that is. So I think we have to start early to talk about this is my value. This is what I bring to this particular space. Um, maybe some of the small things that we can do to start making us feel comfortable about from an asset-based approach, who we are and what we bring to the table. When it comes to talking to our girls and as they move into spaces where they may be the only person from their neighborhood or this uh, city or of color, we talked about, you know, what they bring to the table. And we say, well, the party really doesn't start until you get there. So if we can more of us really embrace that piece about, well, when I sit at this table, when I'm here, this is how it gets going. And so th that's not saying I'm perfect at it, but it's the pep talk in my head as well, <laughs> um, you know, about how to think about how I present at different phases. Now, another, we're all being transparent. Uh -huh. Transparent moment for me is I don't have biological children. 
And so being in this space, that's something that I think about often. But a colleague of mine said, you're a mom. And I said, yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons, I'm the oldest of five. And so I was very much kind of like second mom in charge. But he said, no, you're a mom, M-O-M, a mentor on many levels. And so that's something that I have really comfortably embraced because just this week, I've gotten a text message from one of our first pebbles who's graduating from Yale Law School. I'm going out there for that graduation, for her to think that much of me. <laughs> Others who are, I, you know, I was on the cover of that book, Miss Kelly. I'll never forget my polished pebbles experience. I'm working security, and I'm a CNA. And how she got my cell phone number, I don't know. <laughs> 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 but um, that's a piece that I've been working to just think about my image and how, who I am and how I present at this phase in my life. So we're all, um, as my mentor used to say, we're all on a journey. So great question. Any other questions? We want to make sure we give space and time for that. Don't make me put my teacher voice on. Every time we go somewhere <laughs> with the girls, I'm like, polished pebbles always have questions. <laughs> right there, right there. Perfect. Hi. Um, I think we all do have that person or persons that always being at work, being confrontational or treat you like you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And then we all have different ways to deal with that people, that kind of people. I'm just wondering how you guys dealt with those type of people or how you've been dealing with. I'll say uh, I kill them with kindness and being prepared. So I've been sent, we have something in our company called a hot house. And if you don't, if you can't reach an agreement, they will fly you all into a room and you sit there until you figure it out. And let me tell you, like, it's not comfortable. <laughs> so I was in a situation where I was the only female. I was the youngest person in the room. I was the only person that didn't speak Dutch. And it was like August. And they don't truly air condition their spaces. They do it a couple degrees. And... But I, was, I knew what my outcome was, that I was going there for. I was super prepared. I had things translated out of Dutch because they gave me the pre-read in Dutch. So that, you know. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I was, they, I would not let them get, make it emotional. I was super prepared and I was super professional and, and did not, I was very even killed. That was my approach, but the kill them with kindness and the preparation um, and at some point, they've boxed, boxed themselves into, into a corner. But uh, don't stoop. I, I, I would concur. I don't have the same Dutch story, but um, <laughs> I would concur. I think the, the best way to manage that is to check your emotional intelligence. As Sharita uh, mentioned the book, and, and I haven't read it, but it really is learned through the course of time that you have to step back and put your emotions aside and look to see what are you trying to achieve. And may, that might be writing in a journal or writing a goal down to say, this is what I'm trying to achieve in this situation. How am I going to get this person to, to collaborate with me? And not even like me. I don't care if you like me because life's too short. Um, but, I, but let's figure out how we're going to get to common ground here and make this happen. And, and you might have to check those emotions, and that's hard. And for me, I would <laughs> I don't know how how people on the other side of this story would tell it. But <laughs> I would say that um, the kindness piece is really important, but also don't avoid. Like, be not necessarily in the face, but if you are, if you are 
making a conscious effort to follow up. If you have a disagreement or there's some sort of confrontation, we all sometimes tend to retreat and be like, oh, so-and-so, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to run into that person. We just had this. Go up to that, seek that person out because one, it makes them totally uncomfortable. Um, and it, but it actually helps because it helps with, back to my comment about not knowing what people are dealing with and how and when they're reacting in certain ways. I do really feel that if you can be honest and, and, and engage, um, you can get past those um, whatever confrontations you might face. I will add to that a little bit that I, one, one scenario where I did that, the, um, the contractor did throw a binder at me in oh, response. Oh, tell us. So I just, but again, yeah. I was prepared and he threw it and I just kept going of this is what the contract says. And ultimately it that worked. It doesn't usually happen. But, it, but usually yeah, it doesn't. Yes, yeah. I would say that's the exception. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it totally depends on who the person is and what they are in relation to you in terms of um, hierarchy. If it's a peer, yes, have the... If it's a peer that you have to work with on an ongoing basis, yes, have the conversation. If it's a peer that you only have to work with in passing, really just make a, an assessment if, if the juice is worth the squeeze. Like, is it really worth, like, just get over it and move on if it's really worth it, um, if it's worth your energy is what I'm saying. Um, and if it's, you know, someone that's in a leadership position, um, it, a lot of times what it, it's nothing about you, it's that person. And so you have to know that their issue is probably their own issue and not an issue of something within you that you need to fix, right? So you don't have to go into that people-pleasing mode. Um, but there is a, you know, being a, a black woman in majority white spaces for the majority of my career, you do sometimes have to draw a line in the sand where respect comes into play. And, and you have to have sometimes those honest, very hard conversations to say, I get that you're upset <laughs> and I get that whatever your issues may be, however, I'm going to draw the line and you have to respect me um, so because it, it depends on, on what it is. And if it's so bad, you know, sometimes you have to make the decision to go somewhere else. Um, because you don't want to go, you don't want to stay someplace where you're not valued and you're not respected. It's not worth your mental health to do that. Um, so it just depends on the on the situation. But I just it, a lot of think work is sometimes work is work, and we want our work colleagues to be friends, and not everybody wants to be your friend, and that's okay. Well, this was a dynamic conversation. I guess my piece would be with challenging folks is to keep showing up, <laughs> keep doing the work, keep innovating, keep growing, um, keep pushing yourself to be the best that you can be for you. And I know, and I already feel the energy that this is this type of room of professionals that you guys keep showing up. And give yourselves a round of applause because this event was sold out. <laughs> And we heard from some of our uh, colleagues here today that to see this room so full of women was also really empowering as well. So congrats to you. Thank you, Cornette, for having me, having this wonderful dynamic panel of professionals. And um, we are at time. So thank you guys so much. Enjoy your Women's History Month. <laughs>